on TV? Yep. We are now. Okay. Mr. Deputy. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Vice Mayor. Um, obviously, he is not Mayor Alexander, nor am I, Mr. Doug Smith. They are um, otherwise detained, but we'll be here shortly. So we're going to get going with our agenda. We have uh, a few guests with us this evening. Mr. Riddick, you had asked about a coach's corner. We have a pop-up this evening for Mr. James Mickle from Recreation Parks oh, and Other Space to kind of flesh out what you had talked about and maybe okay. give you some understanding of what we're doing. And then by way of guests, we have Colonel Kinsman with us from the Army Corps. He'll be introduced by Ms. Christine Morris. We have uh, Dr. Uh, Chip Fowler from Old Dominion. He's with us, and uh, Jared Chalk will be introducing him. And then uh, Ms. Christine Morris, we're in Final Design in Chesterfield Heights, so that's exciting. Okay. So she's going to show us what that looks like. And then we'll conclude with uh, Mr. George Homan, our planning director, about where we are with uh, impending planning commission meetings. And with that, I'll ask Mr. Mickle if there are no other questions or points from the council. Okay, with you, Mr. Vice Mayor, do I ask Mr. Mickle come up? Let's roll. All right. And so I understand that Ms. Graves is also with the mayor. Of the yes, okay. excuse me. Yep. Thank okay. you. Uh, good evening, members of the city council. Chief Deputy Bender. Uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited when I have the opportunity to come uh, forward and relay information about some of the great programs that we're offering over in recreation parks and open space. Uh, three years ago, uh, we were asked to pilot a, a outreach program, outreach program uh, to um, impact the Berkeley and Huntersville communities. Uh, three years later, that program is a state award winner. Uh, we've doubled our participation from year one to year three. Uh, added three locations and also added several um, incentives and programs uh, throughout the Norfolk Nighthawks. I believe that the Coach's Corner has the same uh, potential uh, to impact our communities. What is the Coach's Corner? And I'll echo uh, Councilman Riddick from last week. He spoke very elegantly um, about the Coach's Corner. Uh, the Coach's Corner will be a partnership between our POS and local coaches, uh, past and present to impact the lives of our young people, uh, to increase moral compass, and to also increase the desire to be productive, responsible, and caring citizens. Uh, logistically, we'd like to start on April 6th, uh, the first Saturday of each month, offering programming. Uh, we will start at the Boxing Center, uh, the Norfolk Boxing Fitness Center, uh, the Huntersville Center in Lakewood Park. Uh, and we'll start programming at 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock p.m., offer six sessions concluding in September. Uh, for six months. Uh, transportation will be provided by Recreation Parks and Open Space staff and our pickup and drop-off locations at our recreation and community centers. Uh, who? Who's the Coach's Corner for? Uh, our preteen and teenage participants between the ages of 11 and 16, and initially we'll target our Southside, Berkeley, Huntersville, Norview, and Park Place. But we'll utilize our subject matter experts over at Human Services uh, and our recreation centers and our athletic department to help us uh, recruit. Uh, short-term and long-term goals. Uh, we utilize the 40 developmental assets uh, to come up with a few short-term goals. Uh, and the three that um, will have the most impact will be knowledge, awareness, and attitude. Uh, to increase the knowledge of awareness of importance of education, uh, specific subject matters, and that would be whatever the expertise of the coaches are, uh, places and activities outside of their neighborhoods, uh, interact with people outside of your neighborhoods, uh, on desire to explore and learn, and desire to graduate from high school and, and plan for their future. Um, a few long-term goals and things that we'd like to see are an increase in behavior and skills, uh, emotional intelligence in particular, uh, possible improvement in school, uh, increase in moral compass, uh, provide guidance to younger community members, uh, take the information back 
and share it with your, your little brother and sister, next door neighbors. And uh, last but not least, mentor-mentee relationships with coaches and facilitators. That is all that I have. Let me say a couple things. Uh, there's a, a, friend, a friend of mine that, uh, that I swim with in the morning. His name is Caesar. He lives in East Beach, and he's interested in doing what we're trying to do, you know, in downtown, out in your neighborhood. And he told me to, to tell you to um, to send this information to, I think it's the East Beach uh, Civic League. East Ocean Civic League. Yeah, East Ocean yeah. Civic League. But, and also... Does East Beach have a homeowners association? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he has a group of men that's willing to, to you know, to work because yeah, this, yeah. yeah, this issue is not just confined to you know, it's not geographically confined to one particular part of Norfolk. We have so many youngsters who are challenged, and um, uh, and character is the biggest thing we're dealing with. And I'm gonna get Caesar's name tomorrow. You'll love this guy. You know, he's. He, uh, I have an email from him from something else. You, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. You yeah. know him? Mr. Yeah. Smigo, could I contact Rodney Rose to be in contact with him? Uh, no, different, but different I mean, okay. the business association yeah. would probably want to get involved yeah. Yeah, okay. as well. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, Sandra Sawyer uh, over at Lake Taylor, Lake Taylor had is interested. Larry Stepney, former coach at Booker T. And, um, and Ms. Doyle uh, is interested in... Uh, Getting these youngsters to run. On my calendar. You know? And so we, we have, you know, what we need to get it done. So it's just a matter of everybody rolling their sleeves up. And what do you say you're going to do? I'd, I'd like to, I'm not the athletic one, but I'd like to, you know, do things like mock interviews, talk about yeah. bringing chess in there, right. the leadership yeah. classes, all of those lines. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that, I guess that's my question because this can certainly evolve and flex sure. to include other things. Sure. Sure. The last thing, and, and you know, we know that our youngsters Monday through Friday, we know they're reading, writing, and arithmetic, but character is what we're missing. Mm -hmm. And this is what we have to recreate uh, citywide. And I just to add on to that, you know, with we underwrite a couple of 5Ks in Norfolk um, where we do a little bit of gifting with police services. I know it's not, it's more for the nonprofits, but there's opportunities then to get some of these kids to sign up for some of those 5Ks and maybe cash in on some of those partnerships that we have, and Courtney can prepare them all for the 5Ks. Maren will be there with them. There we go. Yeah. 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 I'll be there cheering you guys on. <laughs> I think one of the, I just had a question in terms of data. You know, we want to, if we're going to do it, we want to be effective and efficient exactly. and make sure that we're measuring what yeah. the outcomes are. So uh, do we have a plan in place for how we... Do that. I mean, we, we utilize the same template that we utilize for the Nighthawk program, and that's why we're starting off initially with the six sessions so we can evaluate the program and ensure that we're putting ourselves in a position to succeed and helping these young people. Is this, How? Good. Is this in our budget, or we have, where is this? Recreation, parks, and open spaces covering uh, the cost of this program. Right now, we had estimated $5,000 for the six sessions, and a lot of that is within <coughs> personnel and staffing. Besides the partnerships. Yeah. <coughs> yes. How, how are we going to get the information to the youngsters? We're going to partner with our recreation centers, athletic associations, and as I relate, human services. One of the things that I thought of is, um, and you could help us with this, let's just say, for instance, we we got uh, some of the youngsters who maybe live along the uh, light rail station. And uh, mm -hmm. if you give us some you know, free passes, 
they can, you know, catch a light rail and end up right down here by the health department and meet Courtney. Because so many people don't know about that Elizabeth River Trail, you know. Yeah. And I think this is something that I really want to see uh, the youngsters uh, on one side of town to come up and be a part of the Elizabeth River Trail. That doesn't cost any money. It's just, you know, walking and learning. Absolutely. Yeah. HRT offers a freedom pass for kids 17 and younger, and they can ride all of HRT for free. Okay. So okay. we could maybe, I'll reach out to HRT, so we what we could do to help maybe partner yeah. with them, too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. All right. <coughs> Welcome. The suits are changing. <laughs> where's, my, where's my change? <laughs> Mr. Mayor, how are you this evening? Hi, Mr. Binder. We've, uh, we're, we're eager for your uh, arrival and uh, thankful for Mr. Uh, our Vice Mayor. Uh, as Ms. Morris comes up, if that's okay with you, Mayor, uh, she's going to introduce Colonel Kinsman. I thought you might want to share, last week you were in D.C. at the Corps itself, and uh, they had mentioned that um, in your uh, putting on this case, if you will, that the uh, current sitting person is an engineer by trade or by profession, and that you were there at least two hours, and there was a bit of relief in the room when you were finally finished because he put you through your specs. So that was a great um, story that uh, was shared with the mayor and myself over at D.C. Ms. Morris? Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor, council members, uh, ch uh, chief deputy city manager. Uh, it's my honor to introduce uh, Colonel Kinsman, who will provide you with an update on the Norfolk Coastal uh, Risk Management Study. Colonel Kin, uh, Patrick Kinsman assumed duty as the 59th Commander of the Norfolk District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on June 13, 2018. As the commander, he oversees the district's civil works, military construction, regulatory, and emergency operations mission, and is responsible for more than 350 employees in Norfolk and in resident offices throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. So welcome, Colonel Kinsman. You know, Mr. Mayor, uh, members of the council, again, very, uh, very honored to be here. Again, as Christine said, 59th commander. Um, I did take over in early June. My family moved about three weeks later, and uh, we're getting settled, uh, I would say, still uh, after, again, multiple uh, military moves. Um, but honored to be here, and I'm uh, going to provide you a, a brief update. I, I, th I think I'd be remiss if I didn't provide just a brief program update as well so that you have a broader perspective on you know all the work that the the Corps of Engineer District uh, is doing and so if I could uh, ask you to um, go to the uh, sorry that's me next slide and um, for the members of the council you have that uh, placemat uh, in front of you so um, this briefly discusses our overall program it's uh, what we talked about with the members of Cong uh, Congress uh, in Washington DC several weeks ago and uh, so just in terms of a, a brief uh, overview, uh, bring your attention kind of the upper left, which talks about revolution. And that's our uh, chief of engineers, Lieutenant General uh, Todd Seminite, who chose that word deliberately. And it's about not doing business as usual. It's about revolutionize, revolutionizing our project uh, delivery uh, process and remaining a world-class uh, organization. Uh, we're committed to delivering that program. At, and the chain of command, the commanders above me are empowering, you know, me and expecting me to cut through red tape to get to uh, even faster delivery. Right below the revolution, you see some numbers. We're 385 strong, uh, only six military in that whole uh, group, um, but our uh, professional Department of the Army civilians are the continuity of our program. Uh, our program this year is about $425 million. 
of which about $300 million goes directly to small business. And lastly, in the lower left, our uh, regulatory program, 4,700 actions, um, a trained, very well-trained group of regulators that uh, goes through our process. And, um, and the, of those 4,700, I'd say five or so are controversial and, and reach my level. Uh, the remainder of the chart, if you look across the top, is broken down into national economy, national defense, and national heritage. Under national economy, we're working closely with the Port of Virginia on Norfolk Harbor navigation improvements, and we're very proud of the flood risk reduction uh, for the Gathrite Dam way out in the western part of Virginia. Of course, later on, I'll cover the Norfolk Coastal Storm Risk Management um, but the question for the Commonwealth, as you see the, for the members of the council listed there, uh, is kind of what's next uh, in the Commonwealth? Where are priorities for studies? Uh, and under national defense, again, closely, um, so we're working throughout the Commonwealth, and I'll cover a few details later. Our emergency operations uh, wheel of misfortune, that's the colored wheel in 2018, where over 52 different events, 2,200, uh, predominantly civilian Corps of Engineer employees stopped what they were doing, their day job, and deployed along the Gulf Coast, Puerto Rico, Texas coast, and provided emergency response. And you know, it's one of the most uh, different aspects of the Corps where, again, serving as uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency's engineer of record, are just enormously proud of the uh, teammates that uh, deploy and, and support other civilians during a time of need, or citizens, I should say. Uh, under our national heritage, we're continuing to work with other organizations and agencies that focus on the Chesapeake Bay. We're starting work this year on a major environmental restoration project in the Lynn Haven Inlet, and we're engaging our federally recognized and newly recognized tribes. I won't go into details. Some of our budget numbers are on the reverse, um, but there's one number I'd like to leave you with. It's, with. it's, it's $35 million. That's the value approximately of uh, the salaries for the Corps of Engineer employees here that are working in downtown uh, Norfolk. So, down and dirty, uh, very quick, and um, I will uh, push forward just with a few more uh, things. So, just where we are operating across the Commonwealth, uh, our civil works uh, projects in blue, our military construction at uh, you know Army and Air Force bases uh, and others across the Commonwealth in green our regulatory program with field offices in yellow, and uh, finally, cities of Norfolk and Richmond uh, highlighted uh, in red. Um, snapshot of our program, again, military, in terms of Army and Air Force. The IIES is our interagency, international and environmental services. Primarily, that's interagency, so we'll work on, uh, on a reimbursable basis for NASA, National Park Service, NOAA, uh, and others. And civil works, uh, like uh, here on Craney Island or Gathrite Dam or the work that we're doing uh, in the Norfolk Harbor. And finally, maybe a little-known uh, you know, idea, or, uh, but DODEA, the Department of Defense Education Activity. So for any of our military schools that are worldwide, if there's design or uh, you know, restoration, modernization efforts, then that design effort goes through the Norfolk uh, district here. So. Um, Listen, I'm already biased. I've inherited a, a fantastic uh, team in June, still uh, learning a, a heck of a lot in terms of our program, but uh, honored to, uh, to lead uh, that, uh, that great team. Um, the team is not only addressing the challenges here within the Commonwealth or the Chesapeake Bay, 
uh, but we're actually able to export some of our study capability. So our planning team, uh, led by Ms. Susan Connor, who's here with me today, is uh, leading three studies down in South Florida. We're also participating uh, in, in leading an Anchorage study in uh, the Port of New York, New Jersey. And um, it's really testament to the, the really high quality work that Susan and her, uh, her team uh, does. And so, um, <clears throat> so really my main goal now, and I'll just shift to that, is to update you on the Norfolk Coastal Storm Risk Management uh, Study. And first and foremost, really, the, as uh, Mr. Bender alluded to earlier, I think congratulations are uh, due across the board of the entire team with what we have as a, a signed chief's report signed by Lieutenant General Seminite. Uh, many studies never make it to this point. Uh, some may not be economically justified. Or not be, there may not be a, federally, a federal interest determined in the particular project or the environmental compliance hurdles um, sometimes overwhelm the process, but, but we made it uh, together. City of Norfolk, Norfolk District, uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and I really want to take just a few moments and, and recognize the tremendous work done by the city staff uh, and the leadership both prior to and, and during our study to get us uh, to this point. Uh, your financial commitment to investigations prior to our USA study allowed us to do more uh, with the limited funding that we do get, and your proactive approach to resiliency within the city uh, is true example for other cities, I think, across the nation, uh, and includes those commitments which are, I think, a perfect complement to the recommendations that, that we make in this, in this study. The financial and policy investments on your part uh, certainly allowed this uh, study to successfully navigate the U.S. Army Corps of Engineer processes and it resulted in a recommendation for a project uh, with a cost of $1.4 billion. I know that the council has been briefed previously, but I wanted to briefly re review the project highlights uh, with the reminder that with a feasibility study, we're really at the 10% design uh, phase uh, and really what next uh, what the next phase in big picture is uh, a th more thorough design effort so the project uh, consists generally of structural and non-structural measures and there are four separate structural systems that consist of a combination of some or all of the following flood walls storm surge barriers pump and power stations earthen levees oyster reefs, tide gates, and a living shoreline. The four separable uh, structure systems are located, um, and I think we can, Susan will help there, but so to Pretty Lake to the north, to Lafayette River to the west, and to the, both the downtown area and Broad Creek uh, to the south. Non-structural measures include actions like home elevations and acquisitions, dry flood proofing, basement fills, and a combination of these same elements. And the five non-structural uh, areas focused in the Norfolk study uh, are Willoughby Spit, Main Stem, Ingleside, Elizabeth Park, and Campostella, Campostella in Berkeley. Uh, We're grateful that the city is willing to take the lead uh, per the Corps of Engineers policy on the real estate transactions that will need to occur for the construction of the project. The study was accomplished within the three-year, $3 million uh, timeline, which is the goal for all of our large studies, but is sometimes not accomplished and almost uh, never on a project of this 
particular size. So there's a huge, uh, a huge accomplishment. And again, very thankful for the partnership with the, uh, with the city. Uh, that being said, there's more work to be done. And uh, I don't want to, again, hurt your head or whatever, but I'm throwing, showing you the 17-step uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Civil Works process. The star uh, depicted on the slide is where we are. Um, with just having a chief's report signed, uh, we're, uh, that report now has been submitted to the administration for review. That goes up to the Office of Management and Budget and the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, which has approximately four months to review that process or review the report. Uh, and after that, the report is officially transmitted to Congress where it will await project authorization, which normally uh, occurs in a Water Resources Development Act. Um, that next WERDA or Water Resources Development Act is expected uh, sometime in uh, 2020. And hopefully Congress will um, de deliver those kind of on a regular basis every two years as the, has been the kind of the recent schedule. As those steps are occurring, the district is working uh, with the city on a design agreement you know, so that we can begin what is called PED or PED, Pre-Construction Engineering and Design. 400,000 in federal funds has been appropriated to begin PED uh, during this fiscal year, and the Norfolk District staff is working closely with Christine and her team to coordinate the design agreement and really define the first increment of work. Where should we focus that uh, design uh, effort? In fact, I think we've got a, a meeting scheduled for, uh, for next week to, to kind of get into the details. Obviously, this is a very large project. We'll need to define kind of what are the manageable segments uh, to design and later construct. On average, the PED or design phase uh, in large Corps of Engineer projects such as this takes about uh, two to three years. Uh, and for, for both the design and the construction st uh, stages, the work is cost shared between the federal government and the non-federal sponsor, uh, with 65% being the federal cost and 35% being the non-federal or city of Norfolk uh, cost. And so in order to begin that construction, Congress will obviously need to uh, appropriate uh, construction funds. And once that occurs, we'll have to execute a, uh, what's called a project partnership agreement, uh, which is the formal document of how we uh, move forward and build the project. So one question you're probably asking is, how long will it take? Uh, to construct the, pro construct the project, and certainly that is dependent on multiple factors, incur uh, including federal appropriations, uh, real estate, permitting, as well as the support of the local sponsor for funding and project advocacy. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that I believe the end goal here is to reduce risk to the residents uh, and business of Norfolk through uh, the delivery of a constructed project. And so we're absolutely tied in together and, uh, again, appreciate the partnership. Although there's a lot involved, um, again, making great progress, and um, I thank you for your commitment to getting this done, and I look forward to any questions that you have for myself, uh, the team. Mr. Mayor. Thank you, uh, Colonel, and uh, thank you for your continued partnership with, uh, with the uh, city of Norfolk. Uh, having a signed chief uh, uh, of engineers report is a huge milestone for the city and for, for the region. Um, we have met with the senior White House staff, as well as our entire congressional delegation, and uh, we requested that this project uh, to be authorized for construction. We also requested an additional $5 million in the 2020 work plan to continue to move this project forward. Um, this project will reduce risk to major economic assets here 
in the city and the region, but more importantly, as you noted, Colonel, uh, to the people who called Norfolk and this region home. We look forward to a continued relationship and partnership with the Army Corps as we embark upon this generational infrastructure projects here in the city and the region. Again, thank you, Colonel. Others? All right, Andrea. So 35% uh, of non-federal funding. So let's, you said 1.4 billion for the entire project, structural, non-structural. So let's say it's a, we were lucky and we got one portion of it at 300 million. 35% of that is, is a large chunk of change that the city and their state are gonna have to come up with. How are we talking about or planning for that? I mean, what's the time frame? The earliest we could see that, I mean, the latest it could be 10, 20 years, whatever the next natural disaster is. but. What are we doing along those lines? Well, just last week, the mayor was uh, in D.C. Like I said, we met with the Army Corps, and our, our last meeting uh, before coming here was with OMB. And it was to that exact point of how do you how do you look at this? Because as a in the aggregate, $1.4 billion is a lot of money. Um, so you start to look at it in phasing. And so it's going to be conversations like what you just explained with the state and, uh, and our partners about how do you get to that 35% match. I mean, by context, the, the last Army Corps project that extended Ocean View by 30 feet, that was first um, positioned in 1980. And so um, I hope that's not the context or the precedent that we want here at all, um, but it is going to be um, going to the state and doing what we've been doing, which is this knocking on doors and reminding them just how, how important this is. And for that our city. came as a result of Hurricane Sandy Lens. Exactly. Because so we tend to, as a federal government, pay for things after disasters as opposed to. Um, in advance, but I, we're, we're changing that direction a little bit. I, is that correct? So, ma'am, I, I think it's uh, the city of Norfolk and the leaders, certainly, as uh, the mayor was uh, discussing, certainly uh, get an opportunity to influence. Uh, and I'm just again, well, I won't, um, and I need to be careful of whether I advocate personally for the project, but it's great to see um, the partnership that we do have and know that that partnership is being leveraged, uh, you know, kind of at the national levels to bring needed attention and funds. Um, to the project, to, to uh, as Mr. Benner was discussing, I think that um, focusing first what, what's in the, the near term, it's focusing our design effort on where we think the most uh, vulnerable parts of uh, the city are, and that certainly is uh, something that uh, that I think the city of Norfolk has a lead on, and we want to we want to be working on where are the most vulnerable areas, and you know so the the with through Christine and her team that the council can. Certainly prioritize, and we'll follow your lead to the to the. That was the next question. So the, the feasibility study, the 2018 feasibility study versus the chief's report, the way the projects were listed, the order changed, and I don't know if that order changed because the priorities changed, or it was just a, this is how they got, bulleted out. Do you understand? I mean, so could you talk about that? Has there been a prioritization change, or what you're saying? I'm not tracking a prioritization change. I defer to Susan or Christine to yeah, yeah. The implementation sequencing, where we yes. said like which areas we're going to go first. Right. Um, so we continue to coordinate that. I don't remember if something switched in there. Right now, I think it's downtown and then Pretty Lake. Um, and I'm not sure what's after that. Those are the first two. But all of that, none of that is set in stone. So okay. implementation, we can continue to work with the city and whatever portions that we agree on are most important to implement. We can still like that. That's not a piece of set in stone. That was a recommended sequencing. But did it change between the two? Okay. I didn't, I don't, I didn't think it changed, actually. I, I, I saw something from Ann Phillips today. Yeah. I don't, I, That's my fine. understanding is, yeah. It's, That's great. Okay. And then my last quick question was, we would love to have this federal money 
and do these huge <coughs> projects, but we don't know when and if that's going to come. Um, of course, with the mayor's great help, sooner rather than later. <coughs> However, if we were to undertake some of the some elements of these projects in advance ourselves, does that somehow negatively affect or negate the opportunity to do something in the future? No, ma'am. We'd have to, um, you know, again, continue to stay partnered in terms of if the city wants to, you know, pay some of the cost up front, then it's important to you. Uh, get some of the, you know, get ensure that there's federal cost share credit and all that would, would be, you know, kind of laid out in a design agreement. Okay. So. All right. Thank you, Colonel. Mr. Mayor, as uh, Mr. Chalk comes to the podium to welcome our guest from ODU, I see that Ms. Graves is here and welcome Ms. Graves this evening. And I see also Mr. Smith. So I'm going to transition. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Pinda. Good evening, Mayor. And Thank you, Council. You know, the city has a goal of fostering entrepreneurship and business development. And, you know, of those things, developing talent, supporting talent, retaining talent, and attracting talent are, are key to success um, in Norfolk. And, and partnerships with local universities also uh, key. Um, the Norfolk State Innovation Center opens next week. Um, and um, as part of that, um, they're going to be bringing uh, joint programming opportunities with Norfolk State. Um, so this is an opportunity with uh, Old Dominion. Um, so I'm going to introduce uh, Dr. Chip Filer. I want to thank him for all of uh, his hard work in bringing this project to fruition. I want to thank uh, Tara Saunders for all her work at the foundation, um, and Tom O'Grady and Clancy and Thays for all his work um, helping this uh, make this program happen. Good evening, Mayor, uh, Council Members, City Manager Smith. Feel like I've seen a lot of y'all today, uh, but it's good. It, it is. It is. It is a good partnership. Uh, we, we're very happy to be here. I'm happy to present on uh, this idea and on this project. Um, uh, as many of you know, because I think most of you attended President Broderick's State of the University address uh, last August. Uh, the university made some structural changes uh, last year in order to really fully embrace our role as, as an anchor partner in economic development and, and entrepreneurship in the region. Uh, to that end, uh, the president announced the creation of a new position on campus, the Associate Vice President for Entrepreneurship and Economic Development. Uh, it was my honor to be named as the first one of those. Uh, I, um, I'm very happy to serve in that position. I've been in it for about a year now, and I'm still in it, so that's a good sign, obviously. Uh, the other announcement he made on that same day was we were consolidating a lot of our efforts in entrepreneurship and economic development under one umbrella, uh, that umbrella being the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Uh, the goal then that the president set out, President Broderick set out to me, was because of the very externally oriented um, uh, activities that we were doing, he felt it was necessary to get all of those various components off campus and out into uh, the region. Um, and so with the help of many of the folks on the city staff uh, and, and others, many of you around that, the table here, um, we are delighted to, to discuss the opportunity to perhaps move this institute into uh, downtown Norfolk. So what is the Institute? Uh, it was created by the president in 2018, last year. Uh, we see it as playing a key role in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. In many ways, we are what we like to refer to as the top of the funnel. Uh, so uh, we are 
we tend to be the very early, early stage vetter for uh, some crazy ideas on napkins, frankly, that, that might walk through our door. Um, but the good news about that is that's what we're built for. Um, you know, we have a number of staff, we have a number of faculty, and we have a number of researchers that can help vet those ideas. And then we see it as sort of our job to kind of vet those ideas, give them uh, some assistance and nurturing, and then move them along. Uh, as the ecosystem in Hampton Roads has thickened up, particularly here in, in Norfolk, that's made our job a lot easier. We can take these things from the cradle and move them along to perhaps uh, fourth or fifth grade, to use the analogy, and, the, and then pass them on to the appropriate folks. Um, we are uh, trying very hard to, to reverse the region's brain drain, which has come up uh, not only here in the city of Norfolk, but has been mentioned in a number of the cities around Hampton Roads. Uh, part of that is by making this simply a really cool place to start a company uh, and, and stay. Um, and so we see that as part of our key role. Uh, why the Bank Street location? Well, the Bank Street location came to our attention actually under some previous leadership uh, with the city, but um, when it first came to my attention and we were having conversations about where to locate this, we knew we wanted this to be in downtown Norfolk. I mean, we have some other things. Uh, I think President Broderick has briefed many of you on some of our other efforts. We have our nursing program in Virginia Beach. We have a, a new maritime pr uh, propulsion system lab going into Newport News. What we're doing with this institute, we thought Norfolk was the place. I mean, we, it, just, it just seemed seems to be uh, where the energy and efforts are in entrepreneurship and, and economic development. Um, so why did we settle on the Bank Street location? Well, frankly, uh, it came to our attention. Uh, it was brought up by some previous leadership. We think that the, the Institute on Bank Street makes a heck of a lot of sense. Um, number one, because we are not only moving this institute here, and I listed the stuff that lie underneath the institute, because many of you are familiar with these centers. We have four of these federally funded centers. Some of you know these folks, my directors of these centers are phenomenal individuals that do a huge amount of work. In fact, as we're compiling some data right now to go after a new grant opportunity, I asked for how many folks we interacted with uh, in Norfolk uh, last year. And between the Veterans Business Center, the Women's Business Center, the Hampton Roads Procurement Assistance Center, and Tempo, we touched nearly 800 and some entrepreneurs from the city of Norfolk last year. We've touched over well over 1,200 throughout the whole region. Um, and so we thought the Bank Street location was pretty geographically located right in the center of downtown, tethered enough to what we think is going on with uh, your vision for the Granby Tech Corridor, uh, but also a little bit closer because of our other initiative that we're proposing to put in the space, uh, the Open Seas Tech Hub. It was a little closer to the Virginia Maritime Association uh, and, and to uh, the, the Port Authority in, in uh, the World Trade Center. Yeah. 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 That you touched last year. How many of those napkin ideas actually made yeah, it viable? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, one of the things I'm, I'm perhaps most proud of with, with these centers, particularly our Women's Business Center. Um, you know, entrepreneurship has this very lofty idea that, you know, it's the Googles and, and all these, you know, you great things. In fact, our Women's Business Center touched around 270 uh, entrepreneurs in Norfolk alone. Uh, and those are everything from Etsy stores to restaurants 
to it. So, so we have a phenomenal track record of converting those things to actual going concerns. Now, the loftier things, the napkin, you know, this is the best invention. Eh, it's a, it might be, we're probably more in line with national statistics on our, on our hit rate on those. Um, uh, but but we, what we do is we try to wrap them in as much mentoring and services as we can provide at the front end. And I should mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, with those three centers in particular, this is a wonderful example of how cities can leverage universities. Those three business centers that we offer are free of charge because they are federally funded grant programs from the Small Business Administration. So we charge no fees for females to walk into our Women's Business Center and get entrepreneurial assistance. Uh, so it really is a wonderful opportunity to open up what we're doing on campus to, to a big, broad audience. Uh, this Open Seas Tech Hub is actually a fairly new initiative. This started rolling uh, last year after some conversations with a global maritime uh, network, uh, innovation network. But what we're envisioning putting in the space along with the Institute is an innovation hub that will focus in on uh, resilience, maritime, distribution, logistics, uh, and uh, blue, what we're broadly calling blue tech, which is sort of the new buzzword for all the innovations related to water. Um, and the beauty of this is we're already, we literally have the MOU sitting on my desk ready to sign with three of these other hubs that exist, one in Haifa, one in Marseille, and one in London. Um, and so once we can bring this facility online, we will have an MOU agreement with those facilities. This will allow us then to trade cohorts of entrepreneurs amongst the center so everybody gets visibility in, very, in different markets. So we're really excited about that. I would be remiss if I did not clarify some things about our Bush Street location, our innovation center. Uh, there's been some misconceptions about that going away. This is not uh, replacing our Bush Street location. In fact, this is in addition to it. So our Bush Street Center will still continue to offer co-working space. Uh, we have a wonderful track record in that center of early stage companies working in that center and then launching out of it. Uh, several of them, many of you may know Hamilton Perkins, who was in our center for a long period of time and has matured to a level where he needed bigger space and has left our center. So, so we, are the, we are the bird's nest. We, we do kick them out at some point, uh, but we nurture them while they're there, and, and then we hope to launch them, uh, whether it be to you know uh, Bobby's space at Percolator or some of these other spaces. This is where the thickening of this ecosystem is just wonderful for us because we actually have places we can send these folks now. Um, this is a little floor plan. I, th I think you have this in, in your materials of, of what we're envisioning. Uh, perhaps the most exciting piece of this is actually this gives ODU a classroom presence in downtown Norfolk for the first time. Uh, this is something we've been as trying to negotiate, uh, figure out how to make how to pull this off for a number of years. Uh, I can tell you personally, our business school dean Jeff Tanner is very excited about this opportunity to have a 35 seat classroom. Uh, in downtown Norfolk. Um, and as part of the uh, conversations we were having, we are envisioning being able to hold workshops in here because this is right beside the Norfolk Works set, uh, section, um, uh, Center. So we're envisioning being able to hold quarterly events inside our center in, in conjunction uh, with Norfolk Works. Uh, and as with most of these spaces, you see a very large sort of open ideation area uh, in the front. 
uh, another view of our Bank Street location and what we're envisioning. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank uh, uh, Mel Price and WPA. They've been wonderful to work with, trying to help us figure out what the vision would be for this space and how to incorporate. Really, when when we first started talking about this uh, uh, size of square footage, I thought, wow, that's a lot of space. And, and boy, it, it shrunk up pretty fast. <laughs> we're putting a lot of stuff in here. But Mel has been great to work with, and I think uh, we're able to uh, see a great vision for, for this space. So you know, it wouldn't have this. None of this would have been possible without uh, uh, city manager uh, Doug Smith and Mayor Alexander and Jared and, and Bob um, and actually Georgia was involved early on uh, when he was in that role. And and really, we thank you all for, for the help with this. We think it's a wonderful vision. Uh, the partnership we have with you guys obviously goes without saying. Uh, we we really do feel that our fortunes are tethered together. Uh, you know, this our research university in this city. You know, the way we move forward over the next several decades, it, it, it goes hand in hand. And so we're very happy to bring you this idea and uh, happy to take any questions or, or thoughts you may have. If I could, Mayor, uh, uh, Ms. Graves caught my eye when I, when I heard you, you said entrepreneurship, and she looked right at me and said, St. Paul's. Um, and what um, I, I want to be sure, uh, I thank you. Chip's done, Dr. Fowler's done a number of things for us really recently. Um, really helping us start to figure out what the opportunity zones mean and what they mean in, uh, in St. Paul's. Uh, he's, he is as uh, up to speed on what we're doing over there as, as anybody in academia right now. He's helping us, uh, helped us frame up the financing charrette that we had a, a week or two ago. So uh, they're uh, very uh, aware and very anxious to help us with that transformation. And so I think this is a project that um, obviously does some wonderful things for us and, and not the least of which is activates some important space for us as you make that connection from MacArthur on over to um, uh, the rest of downtown and Main Street. So, Dr. Fowler, thank you. Appreciate it very much. And you will have a lease on your agenda on the uh, 26th of March. Thank you. All right. Um, Christine Morris is going to step back up. And um, uh, Chesterfield Heights, you know, we've talked a lot um, since before I got here about Norfolk as this laboratory for resilience <laughs> and uh, uh, looking to companies and engineering firms to come in and try new ideas. And um, uh, now we are actually in the implementation phase of some really interesting ideas with the NDRC grant over in Chesterfield Heights. And I want you all to see that. Frankly, we, we stole some of the images that you saw uh, as we were talking through um, St. Paul's today to from the Blue Way Greenway. I think some of the things you're going to see of, of some of the images of green space over here are really pretty spectacular. So, Christine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you again, and thank you for having me for uh, uh, this project update. Before I get started, I, I just want to thank uh, every member of the city staff. There's nobody who hasn't touched this project and been a tremendous uh, effort <laughs> to, to get this done. You'll see the timeline is extremely aggressive, and the team that you have in this city, uh, I don't think it could have happened anywhere else. And let me just say, it's not happening anywhere else. It's not happening in New York. It's not happening in New Orleans. It's not happening in any of the other um, uh, grantees to this. So kudos to your team uh, for the work they did. And I do, do want to acknowledge Scott Smith, who works with me tirelessly every day on this project, uh, and also Kyle Spencer uh, up in the office. So we have reached a milestone. We are at final engineered drawings. And that, for uh, it's new to me, it's an 800-page book of line drawings of where stuff is going to go. So. Um, this is going to be a very brief overview. I won't show you all 800 um, of those slides, but um, it's, it's daunting. I want to start by 
thanking the community. This has been truly a community-driven process, and um, it, it's been the residents of, of both communities and all of the stakeholders over there, uh, the, the public schools, the, um, the, the academy, the NRHA, um, ODU, uh, Elizabeth River Trail, Wetlands Watch, Norfolk State University, all have been uh, great partners with us, and um, we have done design charrettes, we have done uh, feedback sessions, we've done outdoor demonstrations. I mean, people have been with us all the way along. Um, I do want to highlight the Section 3 work that we're doing now. Uh, we are doing a series of meet and greets. We're about to go to bid packages, uh, so we're getting subcontractors uh, introduced to uh, main contractors. We have Section 3 uh, residents being put on lists. We'll be informed of any uh, hiring opportunity. We did a full-day workshop for subcontractors uh, over at the Grandy Village Learning Center. We had about 30 people show up um, to talk through how do you bid a project like this, um, how do you get um, uh, uh, married up with a, a, a bigger contractor if you don't want to go in on your own. Uh, so it's been, um, we're working very hard to make sure uh, that we can have good representation from the community on these contracts. And we're also pulling out 10 uh, contracts that will be less than $100,000 each that are designed uh, for smaller businesses to bid on. So uh, very excited about that work. So when we started, uh, one of the things that we wanted to define for this project was really the project values, that it has to be replicable, it has to be connective, um, it has to drive economic vitality, and that uh, it has to have ecological vitality. And I hope that you'll see in the pictures that you're about to see that we stayed true to these values. Um, and these values were defined by the community um, and, uh, and they've held us accountable to it. There's a lot going on. Um, uh, this has been a very tight project. We, we got the award in uh, January 2016, but we didn't get the actual money uh, until March uh, of 2017. And so we are uh, right now in final um, environmental impact statement um, comment, and here it is. Uh, you can see it in our office. You can see it online if you'd like to take a look at it. Uh, people have till the 12th to comment on it, and at that point it becomes final. We go to the record of decision, and the funds for construction get released in uh, early April, and then uh, it's off to the races. Uh, so construction begins, and then a construction must be completed uh, by June of 2022 because these funds, the way they were appropriated, leave us in... Um, in September of 2022, and it, it, remember, it is a Commonwealth grant, and they need to close out, so they need three months to close out the grant. So we do not have a lot of time here, which means it's going to be very onerous on the community to do the amount of work that you're about to see that's going to happen there. So again, um, this is where the, uh, the uh, documents can be viewed for the final um, environmental impact statement, and um, the comments go directly to DHCD. So, um, if you remember, uh, the idea for this project was that we believe we can reduce the risk to flooding to a community, a coastal community, in the event of a 100-year uh, coastal storm event with a simultaneous 10-year rain event when the water in the river is 2.5 feet higher, which is basically a 50-year uh, pr uh, trajectory for us right now. And to do that, we've got basically three ideas. We, we, um, we have to do the coastal protection, and there are... Um, uh, 
the types of interventions that are included in the coastal protection, the stormwater management, once we've protected the coast, we've kind of created a bathtub, so we need to handle the stormwater. But we want to make sure that um, it's not just a water project, right? This is a resilience project, so we have to connect people to their communities, to each other, to economic opportunity. Um, and so uh, that is really where the park and uh, some of the work around getting in and out of the community comes in. So the coastal protection. So uh, as you go from uh, the west to the east, uh, we are uh, realigning the, the Kimball Terrace uh, way in um, and uh, so that we can get it up to 8 feet all the way to 11 feet to protect it from flooding. Um, we are using almost all berm, to, which is basically a, a dirt mound with a clay core with grass on top in order to um, uh, get the protection on the coast to an 11-foot standard all the way along. There's only one place we're, we're using a wall, and that is on Kimball Terrace, right in front of Jim Gunn's coastal um, area. Uh, and, and that is uh, just because it's so narrow there, right at, between Haynes Creek and Ohio Creek, we couldn't do a berm. But that's the only flood wall we're doing. The other way that we're protecting the coast is we're raising uh, the road over here at Kimball Terrace. Um, uh, and I'm sorry, at Kimball Loop uh, around the NRHA's property. The rest of it is basically berm. Um, and we're also berming up and around the um, Ohio and Haynes Creek area in order to improve the storage capacity uh, for those two areas to hold stormwater when we need to. So that's how we kind of keep the water in the river. So this is kind of hard to read, but it's really important. This shows you that not all the area is the same level, right? So we've got different levels that we've got to raise to get a, a, a uniform 11 foot. And that's basically what this is showing you. Some places we have to go up as much as seven feet. Other places we only have to go up two feet to get that 11-foot polter closed. And so this little chart, um, which it, the um, residents have found very interesting, shows you how much dirt basically has to go in front of your house in order to get to 11 feet. And this is basically what it will look like, right? We're going to use, uh, you know, it'll be a, a gentle slope up with a, a top of about uh, anywhere between uh, eight feet and then uh, around eight feet and then it'll go slope back down and along the Chesterfield Boulevard area We'll put in a living shoreline with the oyster reef so that will reduce the uh, chance of um, Wave attenuation doing erosion on our newly constructed berm So now that we've got the uh, the coast uh, taken care of we've got to manage the water and this is really where the innovation is coming uh, as well. So we are doing a lot of um, upsizing of pipes underground, but mostly we're saying we've got to hold water everywhere we can. So it starts with parcel level. I would like everybody in this community to at least put in a, a, a rain barrel, uh, if not a stormwater uh, retention uh, on their land, some sort of rain garden. Um, and then we're using all the green space that the city owns to, to hold water. We're also doing uh, areas where, uh, at the intersections in Chesterfield Heights, where we'll do bioswales that hold water. Um, uh, there'll be a large stormwater park in the park itself. And uh, there'll be two pumps associated with this. When we first started, we had five pumps. We're down to two. That's an amazing uh, engineering feat, and I applaud the team for getting there. And so this... Yeah, the yeah, those, yeah, those are the those are the little cells that each and they they really do hold a tremendous amount of water. Uh, so they're and you know once they get them, you can perk it through and it cleans it. So it gives us uh, John. I think John White's very happy. His TMDL load goes down, so that's really good. And this is just sort of what some of those features look like. 
the stormwater park, the pervious pavers will have on um, Marlboro. Uh, we have to pull up the, the brick there. We'll be replacing all that with pervious pavers and the bump outs show you those, um, those bioswales. This is um, uh, the pump station at Ballantyne. It's at the end of Ballantyne Avenue. As you go towards the river, it'll be your gateway to the fishing pier. And it's going to allow people to look in. Uh, you'll be able to see the machinery while it's running. Uh, it will um, uh, have some parking spaces for the fishing pier. And um, it will also have charging stations. So if the power goes out in the neighborhood, you can go down and charge your phone. It'll be solar. Uh, and uh, we tried to make it look a little bit like a, a something that you'd be inviting to walk towards as you uh, come into the neighborhood. Uh, so you'll pass right underneath there and out into the fishing pier. And this is the Resilience Park. These are some of the images that the manager um, mentioned. This is the overview of the park. Uh, there are basically four sections to it, a play area, a large field, a wetlands walk, and then an exercise uh, trail uh, system. And so here is a better uh, look at that. There's a neighborhood terrace that'll have gaming tables. Uh, it was something that people really wanted, chess tables, uh, uh, checker tables. So um, they'll be up on the, the terrace area. Uh, two areas for uh, wetland um, uh, so that the water as it flows off the berm will be captured there and, and perked through into the river. The great lawn area, it'll be underdrained. Right now it's very marshy in there, so we'll have a nice play area. Um, and then some really nice play areas up by the uh, Chesterfield Academy. And so here are some precedent pictures of what it'll look like. Um, uh, the, it'll be pour and play in the play areas. Um, so it'll be really uh, quite a beautiful space for families to gather and, and uh, to enjoy the open space. But it'll also give them an understanding of what's happening there. We'll have a trail that it, um, explains all of the water management that's going on there. So there'll be signs, that, educational signs, uh, that people can understand what's happening. And there is the, uh, the fishing pier at Ballantyne, uh, and that is, goes out far enough so that you can get into the actual fishable waters. Um, and the neighborhood was very excited about that. Every time I, that's the first thing they ask about, when's the pier coming? So there it is. So that's the Ohio Creek Project. Thank you so much for your interest, and I'm happy to answer any questions. I know you thanked everybody in advance, but thank you because you've been a strong leader on this initiative. And I do want to thank the team Norfolk and everybody that's worked together because I know the time constraint is quite considerable. So when will we see literally the first thing coming out as it relates to the coastal side of the work? So we think that we'll be digging it. Well, right now, public utilities, utilities work is going to actually um, do water and um, sewer replacement in here. And um, uh, they have started that so that they can get out of our way as we start to put in um, the, the stormwater sewer or the stormwater, um, you'll probably see, uh, we'll probably do a, brown, a groundbreaking with the, um, the, the state uh, sometime in uh, June. We're looking at that now, asking them when they'd like to come down. And you'll probably see people start digging in August. I just want to make sure that we stay in constant communication with the neighborhood. Um, it's a lot going on in the neighborhood in a very compacted period of time, um, which is good and bad. Um, so I just want to make sure that, you know, we stay in touch with them, whether it's every other month somebody is at their civic league answering questions or um, sending an email update to the Civic League president to be able to forward out uh, using Neighbor Next Door or whatever, that we're getting information out and that we have the ability to be able to communicate on a regular basis. So 
while it's impactful to them, they still it, you may not like what's going on, but at least you know what's going on. If that makes sense. Understood. Absolutely. I, do you think, Christine, um, the economic impact to the neighborhood, do you think that this will have a, a potential positive effect to uh, flood insurance rates? What do you, how will this? So we've been, um, we, we've been reticent to say that because FEMA, HUD, the Army Corps, they're all sort of operating on different sort of levels, right? Um, right now, uh, the 11-foot Poulter protection is in line with uh, FEMA um, that it would be um, a very high level of protection for that community, and, and one would expect that they would see their rates go down. Having said that, FEMA is uh, thinking very hard about the NFIP program, and they may make changes in between now and three years from now that may alter that. So um, if all stays the same, I would expect that. Um, but I would not want to promise that. And we have never said that this was a project that was designed to lower flood insurance rates. It is to reduce risk to a certain level of storm. That level of storm is the storm of record for FEMA, the 100-year storm event. That is a long way of saying I'm not committing to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's reasonable. You know, yep. People need to understand what expectations are. The answer is we, we're not sure. Hopefully, yes. Right. What, so when the floodplain maps come out and if FEMA changes that at all, what, so it's it's a very complex question that seems easy, but it's it's, it's not. Well, at least though we could get. I know there was some um, rating system points. at yeah. one point where we could get points for the overall flood maps that help to lower overall flood insurance right. based on some other things. So this is possible that that might help us in that? So I'm going to let George speak to that. That's the community rating system, and he's got a project underway right now that's looking at getting us extra points. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and Christine, yes. be prepared for BML's conference in 2020. We've talked about this being a field trip to bring people to oh, and talk about resiliency efforts and how you brought community into it. So construction will be on its way, and the VML folks love field trips. So those are always popular. And we wanted to, um, I think the theme of that conference is going to be resiliency, resilient city. Um, and so this would be perfect to bring people in to see, showcase the work that was done with this. Wonderful. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Anything yeah. else? Thank you, Christine. Thank you very much. Christine, thank you. Um, you all get this, but it's um, she just showed you a, a lot of years of work and a very complicated, very expensive project that I think when we're done, you're going to be really proud of. And uh, Christine likes to say the good news is, uh, the good news is we're going to get in there and work through a lot in a little bit of time. The bad news is we're going to get in there and do a lot in a little bit of time, right? And so we're going to, it is going to be tough on this neighborhood, but when it's done, I think they're going to have something really special. One last thing, and with regard to subcontractors, mm -hmm. because sometimes we've had this conversation about subcontractors when we're talking about repaving roads and the work that they do. We also want to make sure that those subcontractors or contractors or whoever they are are doing what they are supposed to do and their, their finished product is acceptable before we hand them a check. Yes. Inspections and, and things of that nature to make sure that, you know, they've done what they're supposed to do. And we're not dealing with stuff down the road, and we've already paid them, and 
Absolutely. And where I thought you were going, the mayor and I had took the trip through Berkeley right before Thanksgiving, and what we saw was where subcontractors had, frankly, you know, packed up for the holiday weekend and not left things in, in good condition. And Christine and I had this kind of conversation with the, um, the, the folks there that we want to make sure that while we are going to be disruptive, we do make these contractors do leave things in reasonable condition when they go off for the weekend and go off for a holiday. So we, we've learned that lesson. Great. Uh, so th this is actually your first Tuesday meeting, and I think it's NLC. I think some of you all are heading off to NLC in a couple of, uh, which would, which caused us to move your business meeting to tonight. But we want to stay on the track of sharing with you, um, call them hot topics that are coming your way from a planning perspective. And so George is going to jump up and, uh, and do that. George Holmwood, welcome. Thank you, Mr. Manager, Mr. Mayor, members of council. Um, I'm going to try to be a lot briefer this time than I was the last time. Um, and um, so I want to, to really quickly run through a couple of things. Uh, Mr. Smigel, um, Christine has already agreed to um, a, a mobile workshop from the um, American Planning Association Virginia Chapter Conference in Hampton um, in July that will be coming to, to tour um, through the area. Um, so, you know, uh, we, we, th this is clearly something we all want to show off because it, it really is great stuff. Um, so I want to run just quickly through some things um, to, to um, let you know what's going on um, and what's going to be coming to you at some point in time in the future. Um, so the first item is, um, you remember we put into the new zoning ordinance this thing called a neighborhood resilience overlay, which allows neighborhoods to, on a case-by-case -case basis, work with staff um, and come up with specific form standards um, that work for their particular neighborhood. Um, well, the first one of those since the adoption of the new ordinance is in process, um, and that is in Colonial Place Riverview. Um, and we've had three community meetings um, and basically uh, worked on a, a set of standards um, that the community is um, very happy with um, in implementing um, as form standards that would apply um, to those two neighborhoods um, as, as well as also to Cruiser Place. And um, we're very close to uh, initiating this at the Planning Commission level, um, which would then ultimately bring a text amendment um, to you all. One of the things that we're working carefully with the city attorney on is how to have, while, while ordinance language says thou shall, we're trying to make sure that there's some parts in there that are very clear that you should. Um, and that it's not an absolute requirement in some cases because people do have better ideas. Um, and we want to make sure that um, we don't force everybody into the middle um, when sometimes the, the architectural variety and richness of a community is, is actually enhanced um, by having some sort of, of differences um, in, in architecture. Um, so we're working on that. Um, this is probably something you're going to see in the May time frame. Um, going forward. Um, there is an application that w is into the Planning Commission right now for a trucking terminal <clears throat> on East 20th Street. Um, it is one of the ones that is um, coming to you because it is an industrial use <clears throat> within 600 feet of residential. Um, excuse me. And there's a lot of residential there. Um, so um, this is one where staff is almost certainly going to recommend denial because we don't believe that a trucking terminal um, 
whose sole business is to run trucks in and out, and there's no other economic benefit to the city. Thank you. Um, we just don't believe that's the sort of thing that should be right next to residential. Um, so you may hear about this um, from people who aren't real thrilled with the staff's recommendation, um, but that's what um, that's about. Um, we're continuing the the, the discuss, we're continuing the conversation we're having with the restaurants both downtown um, and throughout the city um, on how we can be a lot more friendly, um, business friendly to them. Um, Part of it is um, there's some misunderstanding of what the rules now are. Um, as you know, with the new zoning ordinance, we did a lot of things to try to um, reduce the number of times that a restaurant has to come visit uh, the Planning Commission and City Council to get approval for things. Um, and some people think that don't understand that um, some of the rules have changed. Partly it's because we wrote it in ordinance form um, which, you know, it, it takes lawyers and planners to actually understand what it means. Um, so um, we may bring a few little tweaks back to you to make it really clear um, that, you know, we really are trying to let to get out of the way of, of people running businesses and being entrepreneurial in our city. Um, temporary certificate of occupancy fees. Um, this is something we're going to bring to you. We're going to propose um, a reduction in... Um, those fees initially um, and then scale them up to the higher number. Currently we charge $600 for a temporary certificate of occupancy um, and that is for a, a one month period and the next month is $600. We're going to bring to you a proposal to change the first month to $100, the second month to $200, the third month to $400, um, and the, the fourth month and every month thereafter to $600. The point is that we want people to actually finish their buildings before occupying them, um, and, but there are times when it makes sense um, to allow a temporary certificate of occupancy because there's something that's not directly related to life safety um, that is, is still outstanding, um, such as landscaping or um, having the grass fully um, um, germinated and, and things like that. So we're going to bring that to you um, probably as part of the budget process. Um, just so you know that, that we are working on, on that, and that is, has come from uh, some conversations that, that we've had uh, with, with some of y'all. Um, Christine's already covered the Ohio Creek plan. It's in for site plan review, um, and uh, we're all pretty um, excited about Some other things that are coming. We've just finished the dune delineation behind Greenies. Um, some of you who know the site are scratching your heads and saying, dune, what dune? Well, it's where the dune should have been, um, and, and would have been um, had, had natural forces um, allowed it to be there. But what that does is that helps us next Monday night when we're out um, at Pretlow talking to the community um, at, at Mr. Smeagol's request uh, about how that site can be used because that kind of draws the, 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 um, the line on the, the water side as to how far out you know, any kind of development um, can occur. Um, at your table today, or at your place, um, we have a, a new um, brochure on grass stabilization. Uh, many of you have talked to me about it. This is one of those issues that um, you all hear frequently um, from developers. Um, they don't quite understand what the rules are, so we've tried to, to make it clear um, and, and help them out um, as, as part of, of um, the things that we do. Um, you all will hear really soon about this JLU study that we have recently completed with the City of Virginia Beach. 
um, in the Hampton Roads Planning District Commission. Um, or our recent, we're about in the process of getting completed. Um, we're trying to, to get it finalized. Y'all will hear um, a lot about that, but I want to put it on your radar because it does talk about um, a proposal to potentially raise the center line of Hampton Boulevard. Um, the process that doing that uh, might cause, not might, probably almost certainly will cause the loss of, of a travel lane in each direction. I know this is a conversation you all have had in another context, so I just wanted to warn you um, so that you take your deep breaths and, and um, you know, know that it's, it's coming. Um, just to be clear, so that, that is a joint land use study with the Navy, City of Virginia Beach, City of Norfolk, been going on for months. <coughs> Uh, recommendations are going to come out. It's, a, it's, as, it's as much about sort of how we're uh, dealing with some of the sea level rise conditions uh, jointly, really for the first time. The Navy's been doing their planning. Historically, we've been doing our planning, and so now we're saying let's, let's look at these things together. And so obviously one of the places that they, they have identified is um, the flooding on Hampton Boulevard at the base of the bridge, and obviously if uh, the Navy's trying to get to the base to, to mobilize, they need to be able to get to the base to mobilize. And so you'll see some um, uh, conversation about uh, Hampton Boulevard and about Shore Drive uh, <coughs> toward Little Creek and uh, ultimately toward Fort Store. Just a quick question, the Jaylees. What's the timing of all that? Um, we believe that you will be ready for a presentation to y'all at the end of the month. But then, um, in terms of the execution, implementation, funding, et cetera. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of almost like um, what Colonel Kinsman was talking about. Um, you know, there is. Um, you get the plan, you get it approved, um, and then you have to, to chase dollars. The good news is that um, as of this fiscal year, there is now money that has been appropriated through the Defense Department that allows for uh, projects that, that benefit the base to occur outside the fence. Um, and that's kind of a, a, a very new thing in the first. So there is an opportunity, um, but the, the amount of money that's involved, um, I, to, to borrow Mr. Patrick's term, I believe is called decimal dust, um, but it's still, um, I mean, there's still some opportunity. Um, but please do know, we obviously went through this exercise with the Hampton Boulevard Traffic Task Force where there was considerable community pushback of not reducing, of, yeah, of not reducing the lanes from Creekship. I'm just saying that out loud. Uh, Ms. Doyle, absolutely, and that's why I'm telling you all that I don't want I don't want y'all to be surprised. Um, the uh, y'all approved the census complete count committee um, at your last meeting, and um, we're encouraging you all to finish the appointments up um, this month so it can be stood up by the first of April, which is you know census day minus one year, um, and um, to to help us move forward. As Morgan mentioned um, at at your last meeting, unfortunately the the funding from the state. Um, got removed um, the, from the, the, the budget. Um, so, you know, this really is a, a process that we're going to have to be take a lot of ownership and be responsible for. Um, we have a whole bunch of community meetings coming up. I've already mentioned the Greenies site discussion. Um, the commercial pattern book, you all have heard us talking about the various pattern books that we are working on to try to help illustrate, essentially, the, the new zoning ordinance and make it easier. Um, we are, are meeting with um, the, the various um, development-related interests, if you will, and organizations, so H.R. Aker, Hurrah, TBA, um, ULI, 
um, various um, of our local firms that do commercial and, and multifamily development um, to try to work with them to figure out how we can make this, the, the draft document, easier for them to understand and use. It's probably, I think we're, we're probably going to end up dividing it into um, three pieces, one for each of the character districts outside of downtown um, so that it, it, it's easier to understand um, because right now it's a little voluminous and um, to me it, wor it works well, but that, that's not to, for, to everybody's um, uh, taste. So um, Stewart School, we're going to um, meet with the communities in, in Park Place um, and Colonial Place to talk about the opportunities um, for reuse of, of that, um, and, and then uh, that will inform going back out with an RFP um, to, to solicit um, people to, to come and, and potentially. So what happened to the fellow who proposed having something? So, so if you remember, we've had one of the things we've talked about, it's been a little while, was um, the, the new um, uh, zoning ordinance and the impact of that ordinance on the building and the ability to put residential in that building. So mm -hmm. one of the things we've gone back to the community at Ms. Doyle's behest to call the city president and said, listen, we've got um, dynamics around this building have changed in terms of developability. Mm -hmm. So we want to come to the community, have some conversation, explain to you what we think that means uh, before we move forward. That was a group that wanted to put a school there. Are they still around or does this preclude them? The new ordinance precludes that. No, sir. I, I, that would be on the table, as is the, you all remember the original proposal uh, was for a, um, a, a senior living uh, facility. That would, that certainly, all of those things are, are absolutely possible um, under the, the new ordinance. And um, the limitation is that the building is in the floodplain. So whatever is done um, has to be sensitive to the fact that, that um, the buildings in the floodplain, and quite frankly, the front of that property floods with some degree of regularity. Um, so that, that's, the, that's sort of the limiting factor. Um, um, the, the, Christine mentioned we are moving forward as rapidly as possible with trying to improve the city's community rating system rating um, for um, flood insurance. And the, the CRS rating... Um, what it does is it provides an across-the-board um, reduction by percentage uh, for everybody's flood insurance premiums in the city. We're currently sitting at a 15% reduction, and we're hoping by the end of this year, certainly by May of next year at the absolute latest, to be at a 25% reduction in flood premiums. Part of what we need to do, um, and, and we get a lot of points for, and it's one of those things that we get points for it, but it also multiplies points we get in other categories, is what's called this program of public information. Um, FEMA is really, really big on the idea that people who know and understand their risk will make smart choices. Um, and so part of what we're trying to do is help people understand even better than we already are. Um, and so we're going to be bringing to you all a, a, um, a briefing and a recommendation either next month or in May, um, depending on, on how it works with your budget schedule, um, on how to move forward with a program of public information um, related to, to flood insurance premiums and reducing them. Um, we're going to have a tax credit tax abatement workshop um, in May um, at the, uh, the, the Jordan Newby Library um, to engage people 
And this is how individuals, individual homeowners, individual property owners can use tax abatement and um, historic tax credits. And they don't need to hire a whole bunch of professionals to guide them through the process. Um, most of it can be done fairly simply by themselves. And so uh, we wanted to, to help them do that. Yes, ma'am. Will that be the only meeting available to the community on May 8th? It's the only one we currently have scheduled, but if the room is full and, and we have lots of demand, we'll try to schedule more. And where will it take place? It's at Jordan Newby. Um, six to eight, I believe, is the, yeah, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Okay. Um, you're soon going to get the Planning Commission's annual report. I thought that we'd already gotten it sent to you, but um, we didn't. Um, as you know, it summarizes all of the activities um, of the Planning Commission, but also the Planning Department um, and uh, for the year. So that will get to you and come to you in your, your um, Dropbox um, fairly soon. Um, just wanted to point out a couple things. Um, the This year, um, we the, the Number of applications reviewed by the Planning Commission was virtually the same as the 10-year average um, of, 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 of those. But there was a very distinct difference in what the applications were for. And we believe that that um, is a result of the new zoning ordinance. Um, and it's a, 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 I think it's a good story. It's a positive story. Um, and so next month, Jeremy Sharp will be here. Um, he's our, our new zoning administrator. He'll be here to tell you about one year on the new zoning ordinance and how it's impacted. And this is one of the things that um, will, be, um, will be highlighted. Um, architecture Review Board, also a very typical year. Um, and um, we are, uh, again, because of the new ordinance, there are things that are going to the Architecture Review Board that didn't in the past. But conversely, there's things now that go through the form standard process that don't have to go to the ARB. So um, a difference in what's going, uh, but about the same number. And that's all. All right. Answer. Any questions? Andrea to Mr. Biddy. A quick question related to uh, historic properties, knowing that we've got a lot here, but we've not done an inventory of our historic properties for 20 or 30 years. <coughs> that's my understanding that's going to be undertaken here in the next year or so. Could you talk about what that looks like and when that will happen? Um, Yes, ma'am. We're going to do a, um, a, a, a complete historic resources inventory of, of standing architecture, not, not trying to get into archaeology, um, uh, in the city um, probably over a three to four year period. Um, and that way um, we can get it done in a, in a way that, that doesn't break the bank in any one given year. Um, and the way that works is um, we'll hire we won't hire anybody. The state will hire. Um, so we, essentially, we kind of pay for it, but the, it's, the program is run by the State Department of Historic Resources. Um, they will hire a, um, a consultant. And they, they basically first look at neighborhoods. And if the neighborhood um, has some possibility of, of having historic resources, then they'll drill down and look at individual buildings. Uh, but if the neighborhood is, um, you know, was essentially developed in the, the 1980s or 1990s, then um, it's just completely skipped. So it's, while it is looking at the entire city, um, there is some triage that goes into deciding how, you know, how detailed to look at individual properties. I guess the, I mean, the reason why this is a 
real economic development tool. When something has, when you have historic property, and um, either individual homeowners or developers can utilize the historic tax credits, um, we are improving the properties, and um, and the more people are coming into the community. So, because we haven't had one for so long, we've lost out on some of that. So I'm really excited. I think it will more the paper itself and improve the community. Yeah, I mean, the railroad district is a, is a great example of success in that. Um, you know, that was a, a cooperative venture between the city and um, the community, um, and it's, it's resulted in, I think Isan was telling me, it's now we're up to about $17 for each, each dollar invested um, in, in return. So it's, it's been a great uh, benefit to us in that hey, regard. Mr. Riddick? Yeah, just a couple of things. Uh, you mentioned uh, trucks uh, over on... Uh, 20th Street. East 20th, yes, sir. You know, I think a couple of years ago, uh, there was a, an effort to try to bring some uh, trucks down Redgate Avenue, maybe 100 trucks on Howard. Just want to make sure that you stay on top of this one and flag it because we can't stand an, uh, another piece of traffic on Church Street. And that would be probably uh, a, a way for the, those trucks to happen. So make sure you stay on, on top of this and flag it so we can see it. Secondly, you said something about lawyers and planners' language. What did you mean by that? <laughs> well, you know, we write ordinances. We don't write it in plain English. Yeah. We write it in, in a language that um, is, uh, tries to be very specific about what is and is not um, allowed or, or not allowed. And so sometimes that, that language ends up sounding more like Shakespeare than, than the English we would normally be, be reading. And that's, that's what I mean by that. So, so my point is, uh, when you write these, uh, make sure that the average person can, can understand it, you know. It, it, like uh, Denzel Washington, like it's a three-year-old, like you're talking to a three-year-old. Yes, sir. All right, Mr. Smith. Uh, yes, sir. So uh, a couple of things. I would ask, um, that's the second time we've done this with George. Uh, remember the intent was to give you a briefing of just exactly what Mr. Riddick says. Hey, let us, let us know when something's coming our way that you think should be uh, we should be sensitive to. So I'm going to look to you all for some feedback in the coming months of are you getting what you want out of these quick briefings? Do you want, are you getting too much detail? Are you getting not enough detail? So uh, don't need that tonight, but we just ask for that feedback uh, offline. Uh, Mr. Manager, if you don't mind, I really want to stay on top of that joint land use mm -hmm. work. Because again, we promised the community we would not reduce the lanes 32. And so this is, yes. Yeah, let me, let me, I'll talk about that a little bit more. But so a couple of things. One, um, there's, there's a document, and this is what we do, and then here's an item we're grabbing out of it, right? So it is, um, uh, you are going to have some solutions that you are going to have to bring to your roads in the coming decades, all right? And that's what this looks at. So what, what you're going to see is different alternatives for different places for different time periods. So one of them is you, you lift the road a little bit and you don't make, you don't make many changes, but that will satisfy you for a period of time. Others are going to say, do something more dramatic, and that will satisfy you for a longer period of time. So I, I, uh, so I hear you. That's why we brought it up. But I would say to you, and we talked about this at the retreat, um, if we're going to be serious about bringing in solutions, dealing with flooding and sea level rise, some of them are going to be uncomfortable, right? That's just in the coming years. And so it's coming your way. But, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's why we brought it up. We'll make sure that you and the community are well briefed. All right, Mr. Bull. I move that the members of the council assemble informally at a closed meeting on March 5, 2019, at 523.
the 10th floor conference room of the City Hall building, the City of Norfolk, for the purposes which are set out in clauses 29 and 3 of subsection A, section 2.2-3711, the Virginia Freedom of Information Act. 29, discussion of a contract involving the expenditure of public funds in the Ocean View area. Clause 3, discussion of a real estate item in the Broad Creek area. Mrs. Doyle. Aye. Mrs. Graves. Aye. Mrs. Johnson. Aye. Mrs. McClellan. Aye. Mr. Riddick. Aye. Mr. Smeagol. Aye. Mr. Thomas. Aye. Mr. Alexander. Aye.